Welcome, ladies and pseudopods, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men. Remember that? What? Number 194, the June 1985 issue uh, from March 12th of 1985 with a cover price of 65 cents. This one's titled, spoilers, Juggernaut's Back in Town. I wonder if the juggernaut's in this issue. Well, he's on the cover. Oh, I guess it's not that big of a spoiler. And this pink robot guy, I think we know him as Nimrod. Yes. We definitely know him as Nimrod. But I don't know who this rogue nightcrawler colossus person is. I'm guessing that the changeling is back from the dead. Ooh. Yeah, and is is now uh, morphed into the new X-Men. Why is Cyclops still in the Marvel box? He was in X-Men Alpha Flight. Why is uh, Kitty Pride still in her Ariel costume? Isn't she referred to Ariel in this as or Ariel in this issue or something? She is, but there's a very good reason that she is. Because Chris Claremont didn't know she, he was Shadow she was Shadow Cat yet? Nope, negative. Oh, okay. We'll have to point it out when we get to it. I hope I don't forget cuz it's it's kind of important maybe, sort of. Okay. Uh, yeah, but on this cover you have Nimrod who is heaving up juggernaut into the air and blasting away at this amalgamation x-man character it is juggernaut is unconscious it is super exciting nimrod's not even breaking a sweat he's a robot he doesn't sweat i do not sweat (laughs) i am robot incapable no sweat pores (laughs) so the danger room guys are losers (laughs) this is uh i'm gonna be honest this is this is up there as one of my favorite issues of the Uncanny X-Men. Yeah? Yep. Well, you always said you were a Juggernaut fan. Is this is this one of the big Juggernaut issues for you? Juggernaut and Nimrod fan. So putting them together in the same issue, oh my gosh. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, he, he's portrayed well. I mean, in the last, whatever, what did, what did we read recently where... Marvel team up 150. Yeah, that's where he wanted to give a present to Black Tom. Yes. He was portrayed as such a boob in that issue. He was a child, yeah. But he's not that way here. We don't really know what his... Uh, what he's going to be doing in this issue, but he's just not like, oh, Black Tom, I don't know. Better talk to Tom. There's a couple differences between this issue and that issue. I do think, well, all right, spoilers. Where's Spider-Man in this issue? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good question. This is New York City. I mean, what is he doing right now? He's uh, on a mission, just like the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. Okay. But yeah, you you would think. And then the other question is, how long... After Marvel Team Up 150, does this issue actually take place? Is it? Is- we talked about that last episode, and we couldn't really figure it out. It's definitely before 193. We think we thought that it might be in the zone between um, when the professor gets shot and recovered. Okay. Or shot? Not does he get shot? No, he gets beaten and recovered. Correct. Okay, so that was a while ago. Yeah. In 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 the in the timeline. Okay. So, anyways, yeah. This just, just do it, man. This issue opens up. Uh, I just like the way this issue is also paced. You've got this kind of cinematic-esque 
opening sequence of five panels that are all widescreen, just showing a man walking towards the foreground. All this chaos is going behind as far as police showing up, and apparently the police are trying to clear the streets because the juggernaut's been spotted. Wee-oo, 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 wee-oo. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Well, it's New York, so a lot of that's going on. And that's when a very large man's like, Hey, officer, what's the trouble? Ain't you heard, fella? Juggernaut's back in town. Now, he shouts it. it. He shouts it. It looks like, to me, that the officer was like, Whoa, you're the Juggernaut. But no, that's not what happens. He's just shouting, Juggernaut's back in town, everybody. Yes. Uh, By his expression, he does look very surprised to be looking at this very well-dressed large man. So maybe he just was like not expecting this guy to be so large? I guess. (laughs) He's surprised? Uh, This one is Chris Claremont writing John Romita Jr. as the penciler, Dan Green, Steve Lealoha finishing, uh, Glynis Oliver is the colorist, Tom Warzakowski is the letter, and Nascenti is the editor, and Heem Huter is the editor-in-chief. Is this the first Dan Green in the Uncanny X-Men? I know he's appeared elsewhere. Oh, you would ask me that. Uh, that's a really good question, because the art, uh, I like the art in this a lot, but I also like the art in the Magus issue, which was a long time ago, which was Romita Jr. and Dan Green is arting. Oh, and, okay. So and, they're sharing art duties. It looks like they're sharing art duties for the next. So is Dan Green inking? Dan Green would definitely be inking. Oh, you're right. Dan Green's an inker. Yep. Uh, and I, I, think, was, I was thinking that Dan Green was Mark Silvestri. No, 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 no. We got a little bit until the glory, the golden days of uh, the Silvestri uh green days okay anyways uh but still no dan green's been with us for the last uh i don't know four or five issues but for whatever reason over the last couple of issues steve lealoha has been helping so um why not yeah sure team uh, uh what works team works <laughs> <laughs> you uh so yeah there's a gr- crowd has gathered i don't know in the front of uh city hall i guess and uh there there's uh some newscasters and they're like the juggernaut was sighted near staten island less than an hour ago so did was kane marco dressed up as juggernaut hanging around staten island and he's like oh the cops noticed me and then he changed into his plane clothes i guess that's what must have happened because otherwise it doesn't make sense <laughs> it's kind of weird i mean it's it's kind of like a how do we get juggernaut into this story i know we saw him over here, and now we need to alert the X-Men, which is well, fine. It's, it's more like, how do we get the X-Men into this story? <laughs> well, right. Um, but yeah, there's, so that's that's kind of the crux here. Is there's a bunch of newscasters going on about the Juggernaut and talking about some of his recent battles with... Uh, we get some flashbacks of the old X-Men, uh, his battle with the Hulk, and most recently his battle with uh, Spider-Man and Marvel team-up number 150. Which we already talked about. Which we did. And so, it's interesting to note, for the record, that while both X-Men and Spider-Man are often re- uh, are denounced as villains themselves and dangerous enemies of society by elements of both government and media, they always seem more than ready to protect a public that distrusts, even fears them, often at risk of their very own lives. Let's hope today isn't the day, say, the... the <laughs> to say let's hope today isn't the day they decide we're no longer worth the effort reporting from wall street this is mick travis yeah mick mick travis uh time traveled from the 50s to do the newscast there is mick travis real 
No, but you were doing like a 50s fast-talking reporter guy. Oh, well, that's just Mick Travis's style. Oh, okay. Got it. Kane Marco uh, walked by and listened to all of that. He's just got a big old grin. He's like, they're talking about me. I'm the juggernaut. We still don't, we don't know as the viewer, like, what is the juggernaut up to? We don't know. So it's we true. flash over to the mansion and everybody's sleeping. It's early. Nightcrawler's wondering why he stayed up to watch uh, The Crimson Pirate at 2 a.m., which I'm going to guess is an Errol Flynn movie. Judging from the Errol Flynn posters on his wall? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's my only clue there to connect those dots. Uh, but he's like, oh, man, why did I stay up to watch? Oh, who? What did he say? No, I'm going to go to sleep. I don't want... Not the, the, the dudes he's talking about, juggernaut. Oh, no. I don't want to do this. Uh, I don't want to know. So he just goes back to sleep. Like He's hiding. He doesn't want to even hear about this so nightcrawler fell asleep with the tv on mm -hmm. kitty is listening to a radio i think it's more that it's 6 a.m or whatever and her alarm clock just went off and it's the radio alarm clock okay yeah it's bob edwards with npr morning edition the juggernaut's out there and she's like i'm sleep. she's typical 15 year old she's not even listening to the radio so she destroys the clock radio by phasing into it, which their clock radio budget there at the mansion must be through the roof if she's always doing that. Seriously? Oh, I just noticed that uh, Ileana's in the room. Yeah, well, they're roommates. Yeah. And Lockheed is sleeping uh, next to Kitty. Very cute. <laughs> <laughs> he probably does sound like that. He's got zzzz coming from his uh, body. <laughs> his whole body is snoring. <laughs> That's what he sounds like when he sleeps. At first, Kitty couldn't get used to it, but after a while, it was kind of soothing. <laughs> <laughs> the electric zzz. Anyways, Colossus is in his room, and he's got some weights and some, some art supplies, and he's just, he needs to talk to the professor, because ever since the New Mutants, uh, Hellions, and all that stuff that happened at Cheyenne Mountain. He didn't perform too well, and he wants to talk to the professor about what he can do better. Yeah, so he's talking about uh, issue 193, which we covered a while back, when he fought, was it Warpath that he fought? Uh, battle and he didn't, he didn't do so hot? Yeah, but he's also talking about how he didn't do well against the Hellions in New Mutants 26 through 28. No, 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 no. No, no that's the other... Uh, Asterisk, which is the, the professor went to Mirror Isle. Uh, oh, that's where, okay. where they have the um, the Legion story, which Got is it. New Mutants twenty six or twenty eight. There you go. And so yeah, he's 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 very upset with his recent performance. Uh, and in mid thought, he hears that the Juggernaut his radio is on because everybody's radio is on apparently, and that the Juggernaut's in New York City. He's like Zadorova. I have been looking forward to our meeting again because remember what last time they met? They met in a bar and they fought. That's not true. Last time they met was in number Marvel Team Up 150. That's no, Jamie, you're right. This 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 book kind of ignores that though. Yeah, it's interesting that they bother pointing out that the Juggernaut's last appearance was in Marvel Team Up 150, but they don't bring up the fact that Colossus was also there. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Makes sense. <laughs> I mean, to to the extent that um, Chris Claremont is trying to say something about Colossus. Yeah, yeah. And I guess maybe that's just uh, if you are not an avid reader of Marvel Team Up, you just, I guess, assume that the last fight was in the bar where he did not perform very well against the Juggernaut. Uh, how did he fare in Marvel Team Up number 150? Um, let's see. I don't remember, to be honest. Um, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> Irrelevant. Anyways, 
irrelevant. Rachel uh, is mainly about Spider-Man. That's true. Rachel's in her room, and she's also listening to the radio where they mention that attempts to contact the Fantastic Four have failed. And she thinks to herself, Franklin, he's dead. Everyone I know. So she's not. She's just taking bits and pieces off of the radio, not even really processing that the Juggernaut, who apparently was a teammate in the future, according to New Mutants number or Marvel Team Up number 150. They don't talk about that either. <laughs> no, they do not. Um, so I looked up Shto, which uh, uh, Colossus says, and according to Google Translate, it means into, hmm. which makes no sense. And I looked up Zdrova, and according to Google Translate, that means healthy. Oh. So I'm thinking there's a language barrier between maybe I need to translate these into the correct uh, characters before we can actually get proper translations for them. So, oh well. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine that you don't have the the correct translations. Well, it recognizes Shto and Zdrova as Russian, hmm. but and it even gives me some characters of what the what the Russian characters uh, are. But clearly, these translations are off. Yeah, so Rachel, she's in her room. She's talking about Franklin. I'm assuming she's talking about Sue Storm and Reed Richards' son. Yeah, her husband. Who, yes. But has that been made, like, crystal clear? In Days of Future Past, yeah. She said, like, that she was with a guy named Franklin, but did we know that that was Fantastic Four Franklin? Jeremy. What? Come well, on. I know that come you on. and I know that, but <laughs> at the time, like, I don't even know that we knew who Rachel was until she zapped forward, and then we got all this new story. Um... Well, I'm just saying because of the fact that they say attempts to contact the Fantastic Four have failed, and she thinks to herself, Franklin, he's dead. Oh, I, I, absolutely. So I'm just wondering, like, is this the first, like, connecting of Franklin to Fantastic Four? I don't think so. I, I, wish... think it was, I think it was made clear in Days of Future Past. I can't be concrete about that, but I'm pretty sure. She, she was definitely with a guy named Franklin in Days of Future Past. So, and one could make the assumption there. I don't know. Anyways. I feel like he was also Franklin Richards, but. Ah, could be. Could be. And uh, so she's she's thinking about how she's alone, uh, that this present isn't her past. She's clutching a picture of, I think, Cyclops and Madeline. I think it's Jean Grey. Think so? I can't tell. But uh, yeah, Jean Grey died years ago, she thinks to herself. See, whenever they, well, whenever I've seen drawings of uh, Madeline and Jean, like Madeline always, she's got the same looks and everything, but she seems to have uh, bangs, whereas Jean does not. I think, and I could be wrong, that it's just the way that John Romita Jr. draws Jean Grey slash uh, Madeline Pryor. So it could be anything. Uh, I guess it would make the most amount of sense if Rachel would have dug up a portrait of him and Gene. Honestly, they look alike, so it doesn't really. <laughs> That's true. Maybe Rachel just assumes that Madeline is Gene. She's like, oh, this must be an old picture of my dad and my mom together. Who knows? It's neither of them. <laughs> it's some other redheaded girl that Cyclops dated for. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. Lee Forrester in a Jean Grey wig. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, anyways, Rogue is in the shower, and she's also listening to the radio, uh, but she's listening to Golden Oldie by Nazgul. And then they cut to a news break where they talk about the Juggernaut, and the Avengers are away on a mission. So the Fantastic Four and the Avengers are clearly out of town. Yep. Which explains that. No mention of Spider-Man. No news on Spider-Man. Well, maybe he's in class, and he doesn't have access to a radio. No, he dropped out of school. Maybe he's in the hospital with Aunt May. No access to a radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I know. And in classic Spider-Man uh, uh, tales, you know, he would hear a nurse talking about the juggernaut and he'd have to spring into action, making a decision about whether he wants to hang out with Aunt May or fight the juggernaut. He doesn't have to be a major character. I just think it's a wasted opportunity. You could have Spider-Man in your issue of X-Men. <sighs> I think this thing is already good enough that it didn't need Spider-Man. It, I agree with you. It doesn't. And <laughs> I don't know that Spider-Man would even add anything to it other than the fact that it's Spider-Man. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, he doesn't even have to do anything. He could be like, oh, it looks like you X-Men got this covered. I'm out of here. <laughs> Need any help? No. Okay. I'm out of here. Or I'd even take Spider-Man is in Antarctica right now. True. Yeah. yeah. Just, just, just a reference to Spider-Man, huh? Yeah. Well, well, there was a reference. They said that he's been a villain uh, or perceived as a villain, just like the X-Men. A reference to where Spider-Man is. Ah, okay. Well, Wolverine, he does not actually have access to a radio because he's outside running in the snow barefoot. So it's wintertime. But apparently he already knows. Um, he must have heard the news earlier. No, like when he gets in the house, I thought he heard, oh, radio's on. Maybe? I don't know, but before all of that, he's talking about, like, his rough year that he had with the Beyonder and the Caper in Japan with Kitty. Both times he nearly died. Then he's Did he nearly die when he, they were in during Secret Wars? I don't even remember that. I don't recall him nearly dying in Secret Wars either. But Maybe, maybe it happened off-panel. Maybe he's being hyperbolic. <laughs> I don't know. Now he's talking about the team leadership and how Nightcrawler's having a hard time, but he's the best person even including him. Kitty do a good job, but she's still a little too young and inexperienced. From the sound of the radio, the city is pretty lively this morning. So I'm just assuming he came in from his run. Over like here, everybody's got the radio on. Yeah, everybody's radio's on. He's just, he's got heightened hearing. So he's like, oh, Juggernaut's back in town. So in typical Wolverine fashion, he's, I think he's, Wolverine's also really well written here too, because he comes in, he's like, yo, Elf, we doing this. Do we have a choice? Well, sure. Sigh, coffee. Already brewed. When did that happen? Must have been before he went on his run. Definitely before the run, yeah. Wolverine's an early riser. Brews the coffee. and uh, So the X-Men are really taking their time. Like, Juggernaut's in town and, and Nightcrawler's like, I'll join you after I've showered and dressed. Well, so they're already an hour away from the city. Yeah. And they're taking their time. Yeah. I look at it like this. Nothing's like, all they've done is they've, seen that the juggernaut has been in town but they're not like juggernauts ripping up the city won't somebody save the city where are the x-men honestly i i like this i mean it's different it's not you know it's 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 different than the usual spring into action and fight we gotta go right it's, just, it's more casual which is kind of funny it's just it's also kind of i don't know it's it's funny and silly yeah well it's it's a little out of character for the X-Men comics, but we don't really know how much time has uh, transpired between X-Men Alpha Flight, Marvel Team Up number 150, uh, the last issue, X-Men 192. I believe this one does take place right after 193. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think they're like, oh my god, man, we are so tired. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Africa, we meet a couple of people, uh, Andrea and Andres, who are taking advantage of the local hospitality as they go on a hun hunting expedition. Yeah, uh, Andreas lays hands on um, his bartendress. Mm -hmm. and, uh, your lips say no, your heart I'll wager hungers for more. So we don't like that guy immediately. No. 
he he's not respecting that woman. And Storm walks in. She's in traditional African garb, I guess, of her tribe. She's got a staff. She's got some big old boots, a knife on her on her waist, and a kind of a, I don't know, free-flowing, because it's probably hot in Africa, dress on. The lady said, let me go. Do as you are told. Andreas, Andreas says, make me. Uh, I guess the hunting guide comes out and he's like, is there a problem? And he's like, no, I'll deal with it. So Storm springs into action. She uses her staff to whack the two uh, hunting guides across the face. Andreas attacks Storm and that's when Andrea comes in uh, and she's not very happy that this woman is attacking her brother. Uh, so she pulls out a gun, getting ready to shoot her when Storm flings around and throws a knife hitting her in the hair, surprising her, making Andrea drop the knife. Yesp! I could have killed you now, woman, and your brother, but I refuse to soil my homecoming with your blood. She picks up the rifle and points at him. Now scoot! It's a shotgun she picks up. We've never, I don't think we've ever seen Storm just holding a shotgun. She she holds it well. She knows how to use it. Hell yeah. So that's when uh, the woman, the barmaid, who's getting uh, a little bit of a little little accosted there, she comes out. She's like, it can't be. It's you. Our prayers have been answered. Windrider, goddess, Aurora, you have returned. She thinks to herself, "Uh, once I was, but now I've lost my powers. I'm neither goddess nor mutant, but merely human. She says, once I was, child, blah, 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 blah. Isn't she like 19? Um, Storm? Yeah. Well, you know, she's old in spirit. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe she's 21. <laughs> I suppose a couple of, like, uh, Kitty's had a birthday, so I guess Storm could have as well. Meanwhile, back in New York, at a bank. Six hours later. Juggernaut's just sitting in the lobby, like, opening a savings account or something. Hardly the sort of place one would expect to find Kane Marco, the Juggernaut, as an ordinary customer. So the X-Men have uh, found the Juggernaut. They're in the bank. They're kind of hanging out, uh, just just uh, checking out the situation, see if there is actually anything they need to do. And they're kind of like, well, this is ridiculous. You just... He's just hanging out in a bank. Boring. Everybody's checking in over their little comm links or through Rachel's sci link. And, uh, and they're just like, well, if he makes a move, we'll jump in. Colossus is like, I wanted to go round two. Wolverine says, you know, I would be okay if we just walked away and didn't have to fight. They're all thinking to themselves that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Juggernaut really isn't going to wreck the city and if not then there's no reason to confront him and classes is kind of like i would like to confront him anyway but wolverine's like yeah you know that don't be a dumbo dumbo <laughs> don't be a dumbo <laughs> and that's when from above manhattan island a compu scan uh scan sensor engages and contact is established and the location is confirmed as it zooms in to portions of Manhattan to triangulate on the bank and with a loud a loud <laughs> a loud zam that was a combination of loud and large it was <laughs> A pink robot shows up who d- 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 who cries, I am Nimrod. It's a pretty cool Nimrod action panel. I like it a lot. It- I am Nimrod. Criminals are at large within these premises. A threat situation exists. It is my duty to deal with them. Wolverine says he said duty. <laughs> Actually, Wolverine's not in here. Uh, he's in the bank, and the bank, uh, I think he teleported into, I don't know, he, he blew the back of the wall out of the bank. I mean, he's done actually quite a bit of damage here. Yes. Nimrod, you know, 
who doesn't necessarily know stuff. He's he's there to catch, capture criminals. He's a robot out of time. He doesn't know these ways of the past. He marks his three primary targets, which is Juggernaut, Kitty Pride, and Rachel Summers. And he knows who they are. Juggernaut, blah, blah, blah. Summers, R, blah, blah, blah. Pride, Kitty, or K, blah, blah, blah. So he, he's got uh, files on all of them. And he fires away with his giant pink Shazam blast. You have been adjudged enemies of humanity. The sentence is death. Uh, Juggernaut, he he gets the full brunt of the blast, but uh, Rachel is able to put up like a size screen, so uh, she, she's deflecting her and Kitty from the blast here. Juggernaut's mostly unaffected because he's invulnerable. Okay, one thing. Yeah. Okay, Juggernaut's got his costume underneath his, his clothes. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yep. He's also got a flattened version of his helmet yep. <laughs> tucked under his shirt. Yep. What? What? <laughs> you know how like when you take a paper bag out and it's flat and you open it and then you kind of like you, you wave it in the air to kind of rustle it and get it open? Uh-huh. That's what he does with his helmet. He just pulls it off, flaps it into the air so that it fully expands and, he, and then he really quickly rivets it onto his shoulders. That's what he does. Okay. <laughs> Look, man, I'm with you, okay? I, for 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 these this issue and actually a couple issues in the future, I suspend all all logic because there's no explanation as to how he gets his skull cap on either. That's what I, the other thing I was going to bring <laughs> up was. Uh... So you just basically what happens off panel? You don't see it. He 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 gets blasted. He really quickly whips out his skull cap from his back pocket that he's had that you haven't been able to see because he's able to fold it really small. Puts it on his head real quick because he's he's the juggernaut. And then yeah, he like I said, he flaps out his his over helmet, uh, and then he has like a like a like a, um, a drill, and he just all around, and. <laughs> He's like, hang on, uh, Nimrod. Uh, Wait, hang on. Just a couple more. Okay, I'm good. Let's fight. Okay. You just didn't see that um, (laughs) because we cut to a scene of Rachel who can't quite hack the size screen. So Kitty phases her into a vault and Rachel's kind of out for the count because of all of the panicked people upstairs invading her size screens. Kitty suggests that she try to calm the crowd using her powers, which might help her. Just smart of Kitty's. Yeah, Kitty, Wolverine's right. Kitty, Kitty does kind of make a natural leader. She faces up through the ceiling of the vault and starts trying to lead the people to safety. She uh, comments, is Nimrod a cop? Since the, uh, <clears throat> Is Nimrod a cop? Since that Cheyenne Mountain fiasco, the X-Men are wanted by the feds. So, and I had to remind myself that, yes, that's what happened at the end of last issue. Mm-hmm. Because we sidetracked ourselves with all this other stuff, <laughs> I, I had to remember, oh, yeah, we're in a place where the X-Men are now wanted criminals. Okay. Yes. The federal government would like to talk to the X-Men. So uh, you can see now here uh, – Juggernaut has finished riveting his helmet on. (laughs) All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. And then he says, uh, you you fried a brand new set of threads, chump. You pretty much ruined my day. That makes me mad. And now the Juggernaut is ready to fight. (laughs) 17 minutes later. (laughs) But Nimrod's like, that's fine with me. Uh, You are overwhelming with emotions. Emotions breed carelessness, and carelessness breeds mistakes. So he kind of picks up the juggernaut with, I don't know, some power of his, 
uh, and is able to blast Juggernaut away to an abandoned um, building work site, uh, which he says later he's going because uh, he wants to minimize any sort of civilian um, casualties. Which kind of conflicts with his initial destruction of the building, but I guess maybe he calculated that it wouldn't hurt anybody to destroy the bank. Right. Wreck that one wall of the bank and apparently another wall that he knocks Juggernaut through. Yeah, his compu scan showed that both of those walls would be clean or clear of humans. So Juggernaut thinks, well, says to himself as he's flying through the air, wow, I ain't never been hit so hard. I thought only Hulk could pull a stone like that. And that's when Nimrod shows up. <clears throat> talking about the locale and, and innocent people and blah, 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 blah. So Juggernaut's like, they weren't in any danger, dummy, till you showed up. So I don't think the Juggernaut was really there to cause any trouble. I think he I was there he just was... to deposit a check or something. Something like that. I mean, do we ever find out? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think we do either. He's just there to satisfy the plot device of this story. So he grabs a big girder and he's he's getting ready to fight this Nimrod guy, but then a disintegrator beam hits, uh, I guess, the girder and maybe Juggernaut, but Juggernaut's like, I'm invincible, but I could have been disintegrated just like that if I wasn't. Whoa, Nimrod means business. He's really trying to kill me. Of course. Haven't I made my intentions plain? And then he uh, drops the entire, all of the girders um, from the nearby construction site that are not attached to anything um, onto Juggernaut's head. And then he does some internal calculations and says, well, it's the Juggernaut. I dropped a whole bunch of stuff on him, but really it's not going to hurt him. And he's only going to be temporarily uh, uh, immovable until about now, which is when the Juggernaut bursts from the girders and says, okay, now we're going to fight. Okay, here's the situation. (laughs) Black Tom left home on a week's vacation. (laughs) I needed to make a withdrawal because I ran out of food and I got hungry. (laughs) Black Tom usually does the shopping. Uh, so the X-Men show up, and they're like, well, there they are. Um, what should we do? Juggernaut's a villain. Uh, one of the X-Men's oldest. Should we not aid that robot in his capture? Nightcrawler's like, I'm not sure, Colossus, that Armored Paladin attacked Kitty and Rachel as well. Until we determine what's really going on, we'd best not take sides. Arr! And that's <laughs> Nimrod has, has noticed them and shoots them. Uh, Rogue does uh, essentially a fastball special. She does do a fastball special because Wolverine asks for one. Fastball special, Rogue. On your way, Wolvie. So she hurls Wolverine over at Nimrod, uh, but Nimrod pulls open a force field. Uh, Wolverine's claws can't fall through it, and he gets thrown backwards. Uh, And even um, though he's nearly invulnerable and adamantium skull and everything, or skeleton and everything, he's pretty much kind of out for the count. I think this is the first appearance of Wolverine's kind of uh, this this outfit that he's wearing. It's it's all brown, um, and it's got it's one of those heavy leathery jackets with the big wooly collars. I think he's um, I think he's worn this before, but I think he's worn it with that hat, his cowboy hat. Okay, well, I've never liked this costume, but it is it is a uh, it is a major part of Wolverine. He wears it all the time yeah. in his cowboy boots, which he has worn before. Yeah. But I think this is the first time we're seeing this get up without his cowboy hat. So, yes, he is uh, stunned, instantly insensible. Estimate 93 seconds before Wolverine's mutant healing factor restores him to functional consciousness. Sufficient opportunity to effect termination. And he knocks uh, Juggernaut's helmet off. He does. Well, that's because Juggernaut didn't have much of a time to get everything, you know, fully screwed down onto his shoulders. 
revealing the skull cap that we did not see him attach. My helmet, but its seal was supposed to be unbreakable. Tom promised. Oh, you know what? Maybe that's it. Uh, Tom is like magical, right? So he was able to get his skull cap on and his flattened helmet on with magic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Seeing is I, believing, Jeremy. That's all I got. <laughs> Nimrod Your skull cap may provide adequate protection from psionic attack brute, but not tight beam ultra high frequency sonics. The pain generates, uh, this generates, renders you incapable of thought, must like, much less action. Kitty's in the background. She's like, not even kidding. This is hurting me. And I'm not even that close to it. It hurts more than the worst headache. Oh, and this is when uh, Nimrod refers to her as Ariel. So that does make sense. He's Ariel attempting to assist her fallen comrades. Yeah, he's from a future where Shadowcat never became Shadowcat. She was Ariel. So, okay. That's all. I, okay. Yeah. That's cool. I think it's a good attention to detail. Good on you, Chris Claremont. Why, thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm glad you could join us for this podcast. But, uh, so, Nimrod turns around and uh, he he is, that's not permissible. So, he fires a plasma bolt at kitty but kitty phases so she how many powers does this creep have he seems to come be able to come up with whatever he needs on demand which is a good question like what are his, uh, what are his powers other than everything she rushes towards him with the attempt to phase through his possible battle armor um, thereby disrupting electronics, but it does not work. It's not just his suit that's mechanical. Nimrod's a robot. Yeah, uh, and apparently, apparently it does not affect him. Yeah, apparently he's got countermeasures for the phasing that Kitty does, which makes sense because I guess if they've encountered each other in the future before, you would already have compensated for that. Maybe. She's hit with a nerve shock and flown back, but she can't phase or do anything. And she's about to hit the uh, back wall when Rogue catches her. Relax, honey bunch. I gotcha. And uh, Kitty is, is, for the most part, incapacitated here. She's conscious, but she's just kind of woozy and everything. Rachel runs up. It should be mentioned that earlier uh, Kitty asked Rachel, who is this? And Rachel's like, how should I know? So Rachel, even though Nimrod, I think, time slipped from the same time period that Rachel came from, Rachel is unaware of Nimrod. Well, as we know from that flashback issue that we saw, um, she she never saw Nimrod. Yeah, well, I mean, on the pages, she never saw Nimrod. Right. But I mean, she was aware of a project Nimrod. Ah, Okay. So, so maybe, maybe he hasn't revealed. Oh, wait, he did. He, he did say his I am Nimrod. Maybe she just doesn't remember. She forgot. <laughs> How convenient. Oh, well, you know, it's it's action. Maybe she'll remember later. So she says maybe uh, she, she can't probe his thoughts. Um, she's kind of uh, lost uh, telekinetic contact with the X-Men due to Nimrod's cyanic inhibitor field. Maybe there's a different way to help by telekinetically uh, dropping the building around the X-Men uh, strategically so that, that they're kind of protected by the girders. What a mess, says Rogue, uh, witnessing this after a large carcoom. Looks like when the chips are down, raises is nasty and ruthless as Wolverine. Kitty thinks to herself, is that something to cheer about, Rogue, that a girl our age can kill? Yeah. I think that there was another, like, there's, there's, 
there's two pieces of Rachel's plan. A, protect the X-Men, and B, drop the building on Nimrod. So Nimrod's kind of incapacitated at this moment, and the X-Men are kind of protected. Um, yes. Kitty, though, at this point, she's like, I can't talk. I can't move. I hate to do this, but I don't have any other choice. So she rolls her head forward, touching her forehead to Rogue's cheek. Rogue's like, what are you doing? That slight contact of flesh against flesh instantly transfers Kitty's psyche, her thoughts and memories, plus all her physical powers to Rogue. And I, I really like these two panels because you can definitely see the exasperation on Kitty's face in that second to last panel. And then you can even see it in her eyes in that last panel, where she's just like, this is all I got. Hope it works. Plus, you get the shock value of Rogue's face. (laughs) And so Kitty now can phase. And she's like, wow, well, since the transfer was voluntary, I'm assimilating with her without any hassle. Just like like when Storm lost her powers back in 185. So this is what it's like to phase. Neat. Neat. Give me a break. I can tell the child's going to be a bad influence. So she starts uh, taking everybody's powers. And she, she, well, gets, she grabs uh, Colossus. She grabs Nightcrawler. I think she also grabs Wolverine because he's around there somewhere. I don't think he is, but maybe. Yeah, no, he's he's right in front of Colossus in the panel where she's facing. Oh, yeah. Okay. So maybe. Like she, she drops Kitty uh, down where all the other X-Men are. So I'm, she's got to take Wolverine. Why wouldn't she? That would be silly. A little, little bit of healing. Um, yeah. Sure, why not? Um, yeah. I really like this. I mean, I don't know that. I don't, I don't know that they ever do this again, but... Well, they probably do, but maybe not in Chris Claremont's run. Oh, that could be. But, but uh, yeah, so so uh, Rogue has become kind of a, well, like I said before, an amalgamation, just like the cover shows of, of all of those X-Men uh, in characteristics as well as abilities. And uh, I just got to ask, like, you know, why doesn't she just do this all the time? It's... I guess because it's like the the professor where he just solves all the problems. <laughs> like, oh, well, we're in too deep. Why don't we just make Rogue the all-powerful one again? Take all our Shoot, abilities. here goes another costume. I should count my blessings. At least I have not sprouted a tail. Wish I could have thought a better plan, but the kids makes too much sense. He never handles so many personas. I keep bouncing from my speech patterns to hers. I'm scared to death. Yep. So Juggernaut has pulled out, uh, well, I guess gotten out. Nimrod has pulled Juggernaut out. Yeah, yeah. Nimrod has escaped and pulled Juggernaut out, uh, I think. And he's scanning for the targets. Um, The rogue um, amalgamation comes out and uh, hits Nimrod over the top of the head with a girder. And she reckons that... uh, she he was unable to compensate for who this was because he had no idea who this new mutant was. So he didn't know what to do. And that's when she, uh, getting the jump on him, jumps over to his arm and does the thing that they did to the Magus a few issues ago, which was teleporting just a portion of his body. And in this case, it's Nimrod's arm. And it works. Yarg! He says. And she's like, oh, he's hurt bad. Now I just got to go in for the... For the punch, I got Colossus's armored uh, uh, strength and body and my own invulnerability. So let's do this. So she punches uh, Nimrod in the middle. He pretty much explodes. Boom. Yeah, that's a cool panel. But then he is uh, almost immediately able to reconstitute himself. Oh, shoot. No fair. Fantastic Nimrod's regenerating himself. I don't believe this. We're in the middle of the fight and Kitty's 
uh, consciousness is taking notes. Okay, so I guess the last part was done by Kitty. So she's bouncing back and forth again. So he, he re- must have complete control of his component elements down to a molecular level. To destroy him, you'd have to grind him down to powder, and even that might not do the trick. Whoops! And he teleports away. Yeah. In a blink of blinding yellow light, Juggernaut crawls out of the rubble. He's like, where'd he go? And uh, then he's like, are you going you gonna to finish this job? Are you going to finish what he started? And Rogue's like, nah, we saved you, and you ain't done nothing. Better get out of here, though, before the Avengers show up. Don't say thanks, jerk. <laughs> and just then, they notice that there's a group of onlookers at the wall of the construction site, and they're like, oh, man, this is going to look even worse for the X-Men. Which way from here, uh, Rachel is still conscious so rachel and rogue uh, collect the x-men um and head down into the morlock tunnels well that's how they're going to make their escape because they want to avoid news cameras and stuff and then we get the prologue uh, a little scene in moscow um which i don't really understand and i don't know where this pays off ever but uh, they're kind of talking about how the X-Men used to be good guys, but now they've been deemed villains. We don't know who this Nimrod guy is. Why would the X-Men turn? Doesn't make any sense. Maybe we could use this to our advantage. I don't know. Something about Magneto. Yeah. Their archfoe Magneto claims no human government can be trusted, that despite the noblest intentions, there will always uh, fear and then try to destroy mutant kind. Washington seems bound and determined to prove them right. What should we do, sir? Should we use this? I don't know. I don't really don't know what this whole Russian thing is all about. We are fast approaching a crossroads, Sasha, and I fear that somewhere, some, somehow the decision has already been made to turn us irrevocably towards Armageddon. I don't, keep, keep your eyes open. It's the Russian... Nick Fury. Yes, he's got an eye patch. So I don't, yeah, I don't know where that pays off, but uh, definitely a, a storyline starting there. Maybe it pays off in the mutants. Oh, that could be. So there you go. One of my, <clears throat> excuse me, one of my favorite X Men issues. It's got a lot of cool stuff. It moves fast. There's the, uh, I don't know, the fight is actually pretty short. Uh, all things considered. It's a pretty one-sided fight. I mean, Nimrock, uh, Nimrod, Nimrod uh, kind of kicks butt, and then the X-Men are able to pull it through just by the skin of their teeth, really. Mm-hmm. Well, and is he really even defeated? All he did was uh, just just teleport away. Well, apparently, I mean, one must assume that he was in a bad way. Sure, sure. Needed some time to recuperate. Right. He should team up with Magus. Magus. Yeah. Two, two big robots that can teleport away at the last moment. That would be incredible. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Are we going to be doing Uncanny X-Men for a while? I think so. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, listeners, we got a ton of backup material to do over the next few weeks. Oh, boy. So uh, let us know what you think. Uh, give us a shout. Uh, X-Men at Danger Room dot com that's our email well, actually that's not i think that's nothing i don't even know what that x-men <laughs> at danger room.com we should make that a thing though that's uh, pretty simple <laughs> that'd be way simpler than danger room at redcapproductions.com which is actually our email address or you can visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com uh facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast at danger room go is where you can follow us you can hop up there onto your iTunes, search us up in the podcast section, Danger Room, subscribe to us, leave us some feedback or some stars, uh, and uh, 
Yeah. Give us a call, 501-GET-X-MEN. Leave us a voicemail. Still a Christmas message from like three or four years ago, which is appropriate because we're approaching another Christmas. Uh, we We need iTunes reviews. That's our new thing. For Christmas, you can get us some iTunes reviews. All we want for Christmas is some iTunes reviews. Yeah, the last one is what from like November of last year. I think so. Wow, jeez. And um, I, we did get we did get some listener uh, mail. Did we? Yeah, we got um, something on the Facebook from Bobby Mo. He says, "Gentlemen, we all have. Uh, we must have been talking about how we were. We must have been joking about how we were. Uh, we had reached the 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 end of our um, celebrity. I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. But he says, we all have that fear of peaking early. Let me tell you that while there are a couple of seriously high-profile X-Men podcasts out there of varying levels of actual X-related content, there is something to be said for the laid-back and, more importantly, consistent type of show you gentlemen's deliver. I look forward to opening my podcast app and seeing a new notification of your icon. There's no ultra-layered analysis of the deeper meaning of Nightcrawler's haircut as an analogy for post-war German reconstructivist Marxism. And don't get me wrong, I do enjoy the deeper analysis of Nightcrawler's haircut as much as the next comic book nerd. I wish that was a thing. Um, (laughs) There's just two dudes who like X-Men because it turns out X-Men are cool. And you tell us whether the art in the issue is good or not. And you tell us whether the story is good or not. And that's kind of the deal. I love you guys. You rock. Thanks for taking the time to go through the entire run of Uncanny X-Men from start to finish because I often say I'd like to do something with that. But I haven't given it the old college try. Keep reading synopsizing and reviewing and i'll keep listening oh thank you bobby mo um we do actually have an episode coming up in the next couple of weeks where we will be talking about the uh reconstructivist marxism of nightcrawler's haircut i don't know how you found out but uh <laughs> kind of sucks that you spoiled it i don't know let's cancel it we're not doing it all right fair <laughs> enough. nobody cares about nightcrawler's hair i don't even i didn't even realize nightcrawler had a haircut like, <laughs> i don't even like like wolverine and beast and you know you think of all these people with with uh you know uh iconic hair and nightcrawler i can't without looking at a picture of nightcrawler i could not tell you anything about nightcrawler's hair it's blue <laughs> maybe that's what the reconstructivist marxism is all about blue <laughs> no uh he's he's got fuzzy hair and he's got kind of a a mullet no he doesn't no it's it's very like um it, you know whose hair it looks like it looks like um uh uh oh come on the guy from um that show <laughs> damn i was it. gonna say like don draper uh, i you know, i never really watched that show uh, i was gonna go a little older than that um kirk kirk cameron he's got kirk cameron hair if it was blue from that, growing pains. From growing pains, yes. <laughs> it's it's curly and it's got kind of like a, a or he's got the is same it curly. See, I didn't even know that it is curly. Or he's got the same hair as William Shatner's son in uh, Wrath of Khan, except blue. Yeah, it's been a while. Mm. Well, he's just got curly hair and and, and kind of like like a little curl will go like on his forehead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's that's Nightcrawler's hair. Um, but yeah, there you go. So uh, we, we, we were also mentioned in a tweet oh, by yes. Damien W. who says, sometimes even the best of killing machines need a sensible runaround to do errands. And it's got a picture of a uh, someone's license plate that has the name uh, Wolverine on the back of it. And then the license plate is, it looks like one X-Men one. Yeah, so it's very cool. Pretty neat. Yeah. So so thank you, Bobby Moe, and thank you, Damien W. Uh, keep on listening, and we'll keep on publishing. That's 
I guess that's the deal that Bobby Moe made with us. Yeah. Uh, and until then, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Yeah.